0: Welcome, patrons, and thank you for joining us at this special event. This is 10 Things, a series devoted to presenting 10 more things about all those great Saturday morning shows of the 1980s. If you're joining us, it means you wanted more than the Saturday Morning Podcast had to offer. Think of this as the after show where we can make a good thing last just a little longer. So grab a can of new Coke and a handful of fruit wrinkles and come back with me to the 80s. Rewind. Again. Camp Candy ran for three seasons and 40 episodes. But you knew that. In fact, there's a lot you already know if you listen to the Saturday Morning Podcast. While we explored Camp Candy, there is still plenty to look back on. Here are 10 things you might not know about Camp Candy. Number 10. Louis Arquette, the voice behind Xavier Rex DeForest III, shared a majority of his life with his wife, Brenda. The two married in 1963 and spent 34 years together. Lewis and Brenda had a total of five children. Their names are known to many. Ever hear of Richmond, Rosanna, Patricia, Alexa, or David Arquette? I would bet that in one way or another, you have. David was married to Friends actress Courtney Cox for 14 years. He was even a professional wrestler, debuting in 2000 between the Scream franchise movies he starred in. Patricia Arquette appeared in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and Ed Wood, among other films. On television, she was known for CSI Cyber. Back in 1995, she married Nicolas Cage and remained with him until 2001. She has also helped to promote or form charities such as Give Love, The Eracism Foundation, and The Hearth Truth. She also supports Race for the Cure, a foundation that raises awareness of breast cancer. She does so in the memory of her mother, who died of the ailment. Rosanna was a co-star in the 1980 summer camp movie, Gorp. She was also the inspiration for the Toto song, Rosanna, as well as the Peter Gabriel song, In Your Eyes. Rosanna is not only an actress, but also a director and producer. She has also been appointed as a Goodwill Ambassador for the Womanity Foundation. Since their father was an actor, it seems a no-brainer that the kids would be too. But the craft of acting goes even further. It goes back to Louis's father, Cliff Arquette. The oldest Arquette was known as a radio and TV actor and originated the character of Charlie Weaver. The acting dynasty of the Arquettes is nearly a century old and shows no signs of slowing down. Number 9. Back in high school, John Candy was on track to pursue a career in football. A knee injury in high school ended all football dreams Candy had, at least as a player. Fast forward to 1991 when Candy was successful and had an opportunity. Candy, together with Bruce McNall and hockey player Wayne Gretzky, bought ownership of the Toronto Argonauts. The Argos are part of the Canadian Football League and date back to 1873. Not only did Candy and crew buy the team in 1991, but they saw their footballers go all the way. They took home the Grey Cup in the 1991 season after beating Calgary in the final game. For those not in the know, the Grey Cup is like America's Super Bowl. It's the top of the top in the sport. Candy was a man who had football dreams that were detoured by injury. But he had the chance to go all the way with the Argos and win the sport's highest honor. Number 8 During his school years, John Candy attended Neil McNeil Catholic High School in Toronto. It was there he sustained his knee injury. It's an all-boys school founded in 1958 and sister school to Notre Dame. The school was named after Neil McNeil, the Archbishop of Toronto from 1912 to 1934. During his tenure as Archbishop, McNeil fought for more Catholic secondary schools in the area. The school motto is Faith in Hard Times. This was the school that helped to shape John Candy and helped to drive him towards his higher education. But Candy isn't the only famous alumni. The school can boast of helping to produce many NHL players, including Hall of Famer Brad Park. There's also a few members of Parliament who graduated and a few footballers. If Candy hadn't injured his knee, perhaps he too would have made it as a football player. Oh yeah, and Lawrence Gowan, the current lead singer of the band Styx, also attended. Number 7. Let's talk about Willow Johnson. The first animated show she ever lent her voice to was Camp Candy. Over the years, she stayed active as a voiceover artist on many projects. She was starlight in My Little Ponytails in 1992 and appeared in one episode of the Highlander TV show in 1994. What really jumps out at you about Johnson's career is the anime she's become known for. She's voiced the English versions of Ranma Half, and has the role of Layla Soon in the Gundam series. She seems to be in demand for bringing an English-speaking voice to the Japanese imports. In 2012, she voiced the character of Lil in the English version of The Little Prince TV series, imported from France. She is currently married to Ken Latour and has one child. Latour is a musician known for a 2005 self-titled album. And if you look at the track listing, the very last song is called willow beep, beep. number six at the time john candy was filming wagons east he was in talks to star in several other films among his lost projects was the role of ignatius j Riley in the film adaptation of the book confederacy of dunces the book was written by john kennedy Toole and published 11 years after the author committed suicide The book would go on to win the Pulitzer Prize for Literature in 1981. It was a hot property, and filmmakers wanted to get it in front of the cameras. In 1982, Harold Ramis was adapting the book into a screenplay to start John Belushi. And then Belushi died. John Candy, in the early 90s, became the natural contender for the role of Slav Ignatius. And then he passed away in 1994. Not long after... Chris Farley was considered, but he followed in the footsteps of the other two. Interestingly, Belushi, Candy, and Farley were also considered for the role of Fatty Arbuckle in a biopic about the 1920s comedian. Both the biopic and Confederacy of Dunces have been shelved. It is believed that both projects are cursed. The lost John Candy movie I would have liked to have seen was titled Bartholomew vs. Neff, John Candy and Sylvester Stallone would have starred as neighbors that were constantly feuding. The screenplay was written by none other than John Hughes, who gave Candy some of his finest moments on the big screen. Lastly, Candy was scheduled to voice the turkey Redfeather in the Disney movie Pocahontas. The role was written expressly for Candy, but cut from the script after his death. After these messages, we'll be right back. Presenting my special Crunch Berries. Crunch Berries. Crunch berry, Such a fun to eat. Crunch berries, Oh, Captain Crunch. Crunch Very sweet. You may be sweet, but that Noah's a little sour. Crunch Berries are part of a balanced breakfast. The wind-up. And the pitch. Captain Crunch Baseball Cards. And Bubblegum. They're free. You can get two of these 22 superstars on Captain Crunch Baseball Cards. Plus Bubblegum. And each specially marked box of Captain Crunch cereal. Mushin' fruit slush, doin' the fruit slush-mush. Just mix mush, eatin' fruit slush, doin' the fruit slush-mush. Weiler's Fruit Slush. It's a very cool snack made with real fruit juice. To turn it to slush, just freeze it and mush. Just freeze it, just frozen, no matter how you mush. It's fun. Saturday is wild and wacky with the gummy bears, an exciting surprise around every corner. It's the all new gummy bears next. We now return to our show. And on with the countdown. Number five. During the short time John Candy was with us, he left an impressive body of work. Here now are the top 5 movies Candy made in the 1980s as voted on by Rotten Tomatoes. Number 5. The 1981 army comedy, Stripes. What doesn't this movie have? Harold Ramis wrote it and is in it, and the star of the flick is future Ghostbuster, Bill Murray. Should I even mention that Ghostbusters director Ivan Reitman directed Stripes as well? Mm, No, you probably know that one. John Candy played Ox, the poker player. He was the biggest of the recruits, but put himself through the paces like the others. Of all the guys, Ox seemed to have the biggest heart. And, as would be Candy's trademark, you could rely on Ox for a laugh when he was in a scene. By the way, the scene where the new recruits have their hair cut was real. The actors weren't told they would be having their head shaved. Candy's depressed reaction of walking out of the barbershop Holding his trimmed locks required no acting. Candy was apparently depressed for some time after as well. A few years later, when Murray and Ramus were about to shoot Ghostbusters, they wanted Candy to play Louis Tully, the accountant. Candy read the script, confessed he didn't get it, and suggested his friend Rick Moranis for the part. The change was made and Moranis fit like a glove, which is good because... Number 4 Had John Candy been in the 1984 Smash Ghostbusters, he might not have been in Ron Howard's film, Splash. Candy went toe-to-toe as Tom Hanks' brother in The Story of a Man Who Finds a Mermaid in modern-day New York. The film starred Daryl Hannah and reunited Candy with his SCTV friend, Eugene Levy. Funny enough, Levy got his part when director Ron Howard convinced Candy to play Hanks' brother. Candy was originally interested in playing the part of Dr. Walter Cornbluth, but recommended Levy when Howard thought better. Candy's role as Freddy put him more front and center in the movie. Number three, while coming to fame together, Rick Moranis and John Candy formed a friendship. This is evidenced by the fact Candy thought Moranis a better choice for Tully in Ghostbusters. While Candy accepted a role in the film, it was as Mushnick, Candy then did something most actors don't do. He asked director Frank Oz for a smaller part. Oz suggested the character of Wink Winkleson and Candy accepted. Candy would share this movie with actors from Ghostbusters as well as Steve Martin, who would star with Candy in... Number 2. Planes, Trains and Automobiles was released in 1987. Candy played shower ring salesman Dale Griffith. This was a role that had a lot of heart, the type of character Candy excelled at playing. The story revolves around two men, Steve Martin and John Candy, trying to get home for Thanksgiving. No matter what, disaster meets them at every turn. The two characters, Neil Page and Del Griffith, are strangers at the start, but their adventures foster a bond between the two. This film ranked as a personal favorite for both Steve Martin and John Candy. By the way, this film was written by John Hughes, who was also responsible for... Number 1. National Lampoon's Vacation This list seems to have a knack for referencing actors and directors that Candy worked with from one project to another. Candy would work a number of times with writer-director John Hughes... He had worked with Harold Ramis and Stripes, now the director of Vacation. There is a lot of connective tissue from project to project. Then again, maybe Candy was that friend others knew could be relied on. Put him in the film. He'll be funny. Vacation is no exception. He's on screen for mere minutes as the story is winding down. But he brings the goofy and he brings the funny. He brings a new energy to the end that makes our Chevy Chase work that much harder. If you add the box office take for this top five list, adjust for inflation and all that jazz, these five movies would represent 780 million box office dollars today. Further proof that Candy was a powerful force to be reckoned with. Beep, beep. Number four. While I explored the career of Cree Summer in the CBS Garbage Pale Kids special on the Patreon, I felt she was worth another segment for Camp Candy not as an actress, but as a singer. For over 30 years, Summer has been involved in musical projects. At the age of 13, she joined her first band. In 1985, she recorded the theme song for Owl TV, an educational children's program in Canada. In the late 80s, she was on the Cosby Show spinoff A Different World. During her time on A Different World, She was a part of Jasmine Guy's backing band for Guy's self-titled LP. In 1993, she was the lead singer of the band, Subject to Change. While the band recorded an album, their label, Capitol Records, did not release it. The label cited creative differences for holding back the album. Subject to Change was described as having an aggressive political message and rock-soul fusion sound. At the end of the 90s, Summer finally released a solo album titled Street Fairy, and that featured rocker and friend Lenny Kravitz. Throughout her career, Summer has managed to get involved with projects that require singing. Those roles play to her talents and, I am sure, help to keep her vocal cords nimble. Summer has cited musical influences such as Dinah Washington, Al Green, and Frank Zappa. Number 3 The 1980s were a funny time that spawned its own culture. By that, I mean when the 80s were over, so was the genre. Case in point, the fact that the summer camp movie genre thrived during the 80s, and summer camp movies, as a genre, could be a part of any genre as long as young people were involved and all the action took place outdoors. I can imagine that camp movies would be inexpensive from the point of view of building sets, put actors outside. The outsides are already built, but with nature literally buzzing, that means a lot of ADR work to make the dialogue clear and unnatury. Maybe the appeal of the summer camp movie was that it could fit almost any budget, whether it was for TV or the big screen. Now, the genre was all over the place. Got a comedy? It'll work as a summer camp movie. Boom, meatballs. Got a horror movie? No problem. Let the killer rampage through a camp. Boom, Friday the 13th. You wanna put a science fiction movie in the woods? That's how we got Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. It worked with everything. Kids go off to the woods, reflect on their lives, and return to their homes with a new lease on life. Now, the genre supports exploitation and cheap TNA thrills. In fact, a lot of them do. Filming a cheap camp movie with boobs was a way to get people into the theaters. I don't have the numbers to show how successful this was, but I'm fairly certain that the afterlife of a movie on HBO or Cinemax recouped all of the budgetary money. As the decade came to an end, so did a majority of the camp movies. They were getting thin by that point anyway. Yes, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy starred in the John Hughes movie The Great Outdoors. I still believe that may have been the genesis of Camp Candy. But a majority of the camp flicks at the end of the 80s were direct-to-video and usually produced for the nudity. There have been a few summer camp movies since then. The 2000s brought the underrated wet-hot American summer and the follow-up TV series 15 years later. But for the most part, the summer camp genre was nearly an exclusive feature of the 80s. Personally, I blame Ernest for killing it. Number 2. Camp Candy was created by Joel Andrick, Ellen Levy, and Phil Harnage. Andrick started his turn as a producer with Camp Candy. In the years after, he found success with shows like Eyes No Good, Battletech, and Bureau of Alien Detectors. In 2013, he fell in with the Power Rangers people and has been a part of their production ever since. He even produced the 2017 Power Rangers big-screen movie. His last credit was in 2018 for Power Rangers Ninja Steel. At one point, he even served as the vice president of the Fox Family Channel. Ellen Levy found her way to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in 1993 as a co-producer. She stayed for several years and produced 105 episodes. At the tail end of Camp Candy's run, Levy was a producer on the short-lived series Little Shop. That show is best remembered as a watered-down cartoon adaptation of The Little Shop of Horrors. You know, the one that had John Candy in it. In 2001, she was the creator-producer of the series Sail Away, which was a reality TV show that lasted 13 episodes. In 1992, Ellen Levy married writer Daniel J. Sarnoff and both worked on The Power Rangers. In 2012, she published DeWitch, The Untold Story of the Evil Queen, her first novel. She wrote under her married name, Yel Sarnoff. In 2013, she released a second volume in the DeWitch series, available on Amazon.com. Phil Harnage continued to work as a writer after Camp Candy. He was pretty immersed in the cartoons of the 90s. As a writer, he worked on Battletoads. Captain Planet, and the animated New Kids on the Block series. He wrote the Sonic Says segment of the 1993 Sonic the Hedgehog series. And Sonic isn't where the video game adaptations end. He turned Double Dragon into a television show. In 2015, he went back to the 80s when he worked on a modern reboot of the 1986 series Popples. His last credit was in 2016 for Rainbow Ruby, where he wrote four of the show's 47 segments. I believe he currently lives in Santa Monica, California with his family. And now, a very special announcement. Hi, I'm David Hasselhoff, and I'll be right back. One to grow. Thanks for introducing me to your friends. The first day in a new school can be real rough. I mean, oh, here comes my best friend, Becky. Hey, Becky, I want you to... I can't talk to you now. Your best friend, huh? I don't get it. I didn't do anything. That's right. You didn't do anything. It has nothing to do with you. You got the cold shoulder from your best friend because she's probably having a real tough day and she just has something else on her mind don't take it personally and don't jump to conclusions if a friend acts weird it's most likely because you caught him at a bad time wait a little while when the pressure's off you'll find out she's still your best friend Are you coming, yeah? i'm sorry about this morning i was late for class and i couldn't find my homework that's okay becky i figured it was something like that were you with? My new friend Brenda, you want to meet her? Sure. Great. And that's one to grow on. And now, number one. John Candy had a thing for singing. He sang in several of his movies throughout his career. So, for a show like Camp Candy, where John was the star, it seemed only natural he should sing the theme song. The fact he was friends with singer-songwriter Harry Nielsen didn't hurt. Nielsen started releasing albums in the mid-1960s at a time when the Beatles and Rolling Stones reigned supreme. In 1971, Nielsen, as he was known to the public, wrote and sang the novelty hit Coconut. You know the one, put the lime in the coconut and drink them both together. That one, that was Nielsen. Funny enough, the song Coconut charted in the top ten in only one country, Canada. Is that where a young John Candy heard it? Is that when he became a fan of Nielsen? We may never know. In 1989, Nielsen was putting his talent for novelty to work by writing the theme song for Camp Candy. He sings on it, and so does Candy. It's almost a tune you can sing around the campfire, whether you're one person or a group of twenty. It's not exactly a classic, but it works well to set the tone of Camp Candy. I just wish the show had more food fights, as the lyrics indicated. Nielsen was one of the few pop rock artists to have success with his music without extensive touring. In recent years, he's been a blueprint for indie bands to find success. Sadly, Harry Edward Nielsen III passed away at the age of 52 in 1994. He died several months before John Candy. And there you have it. 10 things about Camp Candy. Join us next time when we take a deeper look at Saturday morning in the 80s. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us at the Saturday Morning Podcast 10 Things series. If you'd like to drop us a line, please write to satwornpod at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at satwornpod. Do you have any vintage Saturday morning memories? Email us your story and we could read it on the next episode.